This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. And welcome to episode 97 of Talking Dirty. Over at East Roston Old Vicarage, looking totally tangerine, we have Alan Edward Herbert Gray, our happy and very handsome horticulturalist. It's funny you should say that, you know, because that is the name of a particularly fine dahlia. Uh, but then you know that <laughs> anyway. And over in Cambridgeshire, we have blooming and beautiful as ever, Thordis Maria Sophia Fredrickson. Got some tangerine hearts on my jumper, feeling. Very, very happy because returning, it's been a bit of a wait to get our next guests back. They joined us first back in episode 79, I think. We have Helen Victoria Picton, I seem to remember, named after a water lily, and Ross Barber. No middle name, but never mind. <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> of, of course, the Picton Garden, Old Court Nurseries. Welcome back, you wonderful people. How are you? Yeah, very well. We're pleased to be back again. Been looking forward to it. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not as much as us, I can assure you of that. <laughs> You've had a, a busy summer, particularly at the Malvern Autumn Show, where I think you picked up a pretty good medal. Yeah, we did. We were really pleased. We got a gold. We were a bit worried because it was the first year where we'd um, officially combined succulents and asters together, which was, we weren't sure how this was going to go down with the judges, but... Uh, I think the succulents probably saved the day, didn't they? Possibly, yeah. yeah, yeah. But we had a judge actually visit us the day before who came around the garden and saw that that's actually what we did in the garden was mix the two up to a certain extent. So that I think that helped sway the judges again. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It wasn't totally random, honest. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very intriguing mixture, actually, because, you know, you couldn't get two plants that are poles so, so far apart, really. I think I'd love to see the way you actually mix your succulents with your asters. They're not physically mixed, but they are in the all in the garden. Yeah. So, but that's what the judges said to us. They they said we need to mix them more. So that that's put up put a right conundrum on us for next year. So <laughs> watch this space. <laughs> We've got a year to muddle out combining asters and uh, and and succulents. Actually, oh, I the, feel the like cogs are turning. <laughs> Before we get stuck into all the specific plants, of course, asters are one of these. Um, one of these groups where we all get stuck on the name. So I don't even know if you want to go down the whole Symphia trichum aster route. Do you want to delve into that at all or just pretend it doesn't exist? No, well, we'll look at it as we go through because actually once you can get your mind around the fact that it is a new name, which is not so easy to say as aster, but we won't worry about that. It's quite an easy division. So it's um, the European ones are very distinctive to the North American. The awful thing for most people is the fact that you as nursery people and, and gardeners and me as a gardener, um, we can get our heads around it relatively easily. But I think, you know, most people, ordinary folk who come mm. to you to buy a Michaelmas daisy or an aster, that's exactly what they want. They don't want to even know about Symphiotrichum. <laughs> so that's, um, that's what they are. They are still asters. They're all still asters and they're all still Michaelmas daisies. Well said, Ross. <laughs> that's what we all need to remember yeah well it's quite handy actually because all the um the common names in north america still use aster so you can sort of 
work it in without having to get too deep into the name changes and things so, yeah but but if you are interested then you can take yeah. that step further yeah. and, and start yeah. dividing them up so it's, it's quite good well i'm glad that for this podcast where we like to get as geeky as possible you're going to divide them up and explain yeah. it for us so I'm, <laughs> I'm looking forward to to that and then and your garden i've only seen it sadly on instagram but my goodness it is looking wonderful as i suppose people would expect at the height of michaelmas daisy season just these hummocks of daisies looking wonderful i think we're calling it a vintage year this year once in a lifetime <laughs> <laughs> well we hope not how did the asters fare during the drought that we had? Well, actually, surprisingly well. We had to do a little bit of watering for the um, big group, so the Nova Bougers, because yeah. they're replanted every year. So you can only expect so much out of a plant. Exactly, yeah. So we yeah. did have to do a bit there. But otherwise, I mean, we really didn't do a lot of watering yeah. in the garden. Preparation. Before yeah. the summer came, we did the preparation. That is the key, preparation. Um, and I mean, it is putting goodness in moisture holding stuff into the soil and mulching after you've planted when the soil is wet. Um, yeah. Again, well said, Ross. <laughs> <laughs> I think I might, might go quite, quite well on my head. <laughs> in many ways, being so dry has benefited the daisies from a flowering point of view. So plenty of sunshine to set a lot of buds. And then it's been relatively kind when they're actually out because once it starts to turn wet, you start to lose the earlier blooms quite quickly. So yeah. it's helped. Mm. So yeah, mixed blessing, silver lining to every cloud and all that. <laughs> and obviously we want to focus a bit on those, but you guys have um, also loads of lovely ferns, an amazing array of, of succulents as well. So all round, obviously, I imagine the succulents have, have been all right. Have you had an OK time with the ferns as well? Yeah, some of the ethereums went quite quickly, but they, they're, they go in the summertime anyway. But some of them, it, it's almost like we're having a second flush at the moment. The last six weeks, it seems to now it's cooled down and we've got a bit of moisture. A lot of the ferns are are reflushing and and the whole the whole garden looks refreshed mm. it's quite quite it's almost like a second season a, yeah an extra season i don't know because but, some of our biggest ones like the dryopteris wallichiana um just collapsed all together in that really when we got like nearly 40 degrees it said thank you very much but that's more than enough yeah. <laughs> but even that's managed to perk itself back up and go again so yeah it's been okay all the polypodiums they've just been sitting waiting for a bit of moisture so as soon as a bit of moisture there at the sort of end of July beginning of mm -hmm. August they all started popping up and bursting through so that's them into their season now which is it's really exciting yeah, it so that'll take us well into winter and people who aren't following you do follow Helen and Ross the Picton Garden it is just every day another plant that you want <laughs> flomo all the time in every kind of plant family it could be a tree it could be a fern it could be a succulent or a daisy it just comes relentlessly daylilies you had a big burst of daylilies as well yeah yeah it's been good yeah 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 endless <laughs> right then i feel like show and tell should commence let me get my bucket you get my bucket. <laughs> Ross is going to get my bucket because it's too heavy for me. <laughs> Been putting too much in it again. <laughs> That's what we like to hear. I mean, for anyone listening to the audio version, there are three buckets surrounding Helen and Ross, so I'm very, very excited. Yeah, I'm afraid so. Just couldn't stop. <laughs> I have to say that my pen is poised. <laughs> well, so it only seemed fair to start with the Nova Bougies, so the, which are now Symphiotrichum. So they're North American. Symphiotrichum Nova Bougie was Aster Nova Bougie. And they're where most people concentrated the breeding work. 
so out of the national collection that we hold, which is 435 different varieties, it probably makes up nearly 300 varieties. So it is where you get the biggest diversity. And it's also where the gentleman who founded our nursery, Ernest Ballard, really started off with. That's what he wanted to breed and develop because they hybridize so readily. So you get the biggest range of colors and shapes and sizes of flowers and all sorts. So I wanted to start off with his first one, which I hope the color's coming up okay. But this is um, Beauty of Coal. So <laughs> you might not think it's hugely exciting, but that when it was put into a trial in 1907, was heralded as a real color breakthrough, like very exciting. And also the first true double aster, which now you look at it and you wouldn't go, oh, wow, well, that's double. But technically, technically it is. Got a bit of a ruffle. Yeah, <laughs> the ruffle. Um, and then I thought it only fair that we then had a quick look at what was probably one of his, um, his big triumph. So he raised this just before he passed away. But this is Mari Ballard. So you can see how the breeding developed. So this was 1950, I think, that he um, introduced this one. And you can see with the difference once you go from Beauty of Coal up to Mari Ballard. And you've got this beautiful clear lavender blue and then this lovely formal double shape, which lasts for a long time. Eventually it opens to show the eye. Uh, it's just starting on this one. So the insects get to go at it as well. <laughs> at the moment, it's got that kind of Chinese aster, Callistophus pom-pom thing going yeah. on. Yeah, not quite as big as the Callistophus, no. but um, yeah, it's got that sort of look to it, hasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. It's such yeah, a showstopper. It is lovely. And they're about, uh, well, Beauty of Coal's very tall, so that can get up to about five foot, whereas Mari Ballard's more sort of three, three and a half. And it was named for his... Um, second wife and she was obviously had a great effect on him because she's one of the few people to have two asters named after her because the other one is Blandy and I don't know whether the subtlety of this she was a Miss Bland before she was married I should clarify this <laughs> wasn't a comment on her personality <laughs> I don't think <laughs> I don't know whether this will really show perhaps compared to them do you get that slight creamy tint coming mm, through? Yeah. 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 So it's about as close to a yellow um, astral mythomastase that you're going to get. Ernest Ballard went through a bit of an obsession with wanting to try and breed yellow ones. And he wasn't to know, but a few years after he died in the 1950s, the botanists declared that if it was yellow, it wasn't going to be an aster anyway. So he would <laughs> never have succeeded, but um, he did try. He did lots of crossing with solid agos, so you get loads of solid asters and stuff like that coming through. Um, but Blandy does have this real cream tint to the bud. And actually, when you've got it in the mixed border, you look at it and you think, it's kind of not quite white. <laughs> it's got that off creamy colour, but very pretty. And then, of course, opens to the nice white daisy. And again, sort of 90 centimetres, three footish. So, a really nice example. I love how Rob is just ending up with this ever increasing bouquet. <laughs> Yeah. I'm going to hand them all over. We'll just have to get, keep passing them on down the line, I suppose. Um, I did just, before we move on to anything else, uh, just want to a little look at some of the ranging colours, because obviously your lavender blues are what you'd expect with them, but there are some smashing colours. So this is Sheena, and I think she's one of the loveliest of the pinks. So it's this real, well, quite an unusual 
um, almost slightly dusky pink, but without so much purple in it. So some of them get an awful lot of purple through the pink, whereas I think Sheena picks up a rather nice um, shade to it. With that yellow eye, that sort of pinky, the combination of colours is just so striking <laughs> and cheerful, just happiness. It is cheerful. It's the nice thing. I think they're all cheerful, even when you venture into the very, very darkest of them, which I only picked a, oh, there we go. I only picked a little bit off this one because it wasn't ouch that much. Wow, that really is dark. Yeah. Do, more sultry. Yeah, it's one called Thundercloud and it does live <laughs> up to its name. So it is extremely dark, um, very tall again. So we're into, well, probably 120 centimetres, so four footish. But it is a real smasher. Yes, look at that up close. So stormy. <laughs> Going to be fed up with this in a minute. <laughs> I will uh, you're in the right well. place <laughs> to just endlessly show off wonderful asters. Yeah. You are in the right company. Uh, I don't know if he's going to come up so well, but this is Davy's True Blue. Oh. So most of the asters, of course, are very uh, got hints of lavender or lilac or purple coming through them. And I suppose this strictly also is perfectly blue, but I think it's probably as close as you get to a proper blue. Um, aptly named, I feel. But again quite nice and tall and late to flower as you can see it's only just coming out now whereas things like Mari Ballard have been out since early September so you're getting a bit of a range I mean you never get that long the flowering season out of this lot you really have to move into something different <laughs> and before I shut up about them <laughs> or this lot I promise there's plenty more asters to come but um, I did have to mention the purple reds really so this is Rufus you get quite a few of this sort of shade of purple red through them. Um, Rufus is probably one of the most mildew resistant because, of course, I can't really talk about them without mentioning the dreaded mildew, can we? Um, I, was, the, I was sitting here thinking, shall I ask? Yeah, <laughs> you, you do have to mention it. And then New York's, um, the Nova Bougers are the ones that can get mildew. So it is something to watch out for. Again, it's usually when they've become very dry, they get stressed and then it becomes a lot worse. So if you can maintain a better level of moisture in the soil, you're going to have a head start on it. Um, so that was part of the thing with mulching this um, uh, spring as well. That really helps with us. And of course, not doing what we do, which is plant them all together. <laughs> it might look amazing, but once you get an, if you get an outbreak, of course, it can then just run through the whole lot. So it is better typically mixed planting and good air movements but uh, that's not always a possibility is it mm. <laughs> and also I mean you're right the look on mass in your mm. garden is sensational and you are specialists you know you are famed for this plant so if anyone's going to get away with mass planting of them it's you <laughs> we need to do it but yeah. it might not be the most sensible thing in other people's <laughs> gardens <laughs> but it is um I think also with the mildew we sometimes have had to venture down using fungicide, but we try not to. We try to use natural products where possible. So garlic and seaweed works really well as a spray for the foliage. Uh, it just um, helps form a natural fungal colony on the leaves anyway. So there's no room for the mildew spores, which is kind of a good way to do it, I think, if you can. That's clever. Doesn't always work 100% though. <laughs> Some years you're just going to be stuffed with it. But, Clever uh, when it works. <laughs> so 
I had to also include my favourites, which is Melbourne Magnet, who again, really good disease resistance. Fluffy quill double flowers, and then opening to show this really good big yellow centre. And it just looks magnificent. That's got to be a, it's got to be a winner. <laughs> so floriferous as well. Just festooned with all of these dreamy flowers. Mm. You're right, they, they really are all so cheerful. Yeah, they are. And even when you venture into the slightly smaller ones. So this is uh, Dazzler, who looks like he should be tiny, but he actually grows to, again, sort of 90 centimetres, just under. But it's a fabulous head of flowers. So that's just picked off the one stem, obviously. I just It's so pleasing, because once you've got a big club going, you just get an absolute sheet of these flowers. It's lovely. Mm. It stands yeah. up well for the weather as well, because being a slightly lighter weight flower, you don't get the droopiness or damage in them. So should we have a look at a different is sort? That, is that the Belgies? Yeah, that's the Belgies. Did you tell them about the range of height? Oh, no. Okay, so I was going to bring in a little pot of Rosenwitchell, which is our shortest one. So Rosenwitchell's pink, as you might have guessed, but it's tiny. So she's only about 20 centimetres, something Ooh, like that. Not... And then, oh, yeah, all the way up to things like Beauty of Coal and Algar's Pride, where you're 150 to 180 centimetres. So there's a big range in the heights with them. I, are we moving on mostly because Ross can probably not fit any more in his hand? That is Probably, yes. <laughs> <laughs> a great big bunch of asters. Right, so what's next then? We'll stick with the theme of aster. Uh, we do have a supporting cast of other things as well. but uh, Well, I can see know. one, I can see a few, you know, sneaky things peeping over your shoulder that we'll move on to, but I'm enjoying the asters. No, they're very good. Let's have a, um, oh, I need that one. <laughs> so what I wanted to talk about now are the European asters. So these are proper asters. So we've got no worries about names here. So it's Astromelis. And I'm hoping they're beginning to fade a little now because of course they flower much earlier. Uh, you're in your rich purple blues and shades of lavender blue right the way through really you get the odd pink um Grunder, which is this one here is probably the tallest so that reaches up to about three feet 90 centimeters and it's magnificent it's really good for cutting because you get this whole long straight stem with this lovely bunch of flowers on the top and it lasts for ages and ages but one of the very best we find, so our soil is quite heavy, so we're a heavy clay here, and the astromelis don't like to sit too wet over winter, so this can be a bit of a problem with us. We have to find the best draining positions for them, and they also tend to prefer it a little bit more alkaline. Um, but Fawnset Flourish, which has the smaller flower, but it's a really good colour, and it flowers and flowers and flowers its little socks off about 60 centimetres, so just about the two-foot mark and doesn't seem to mind so much about the soil conditions, which... <laughs> Bornset Flourish was named after the village where I was born. Oh, oh wow. there we go. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There were two guys that had a nursery in Cheney Lane at Bornset St Mary. And they there's did... There's another... There's something else as well that came from there. Yeah, and it's an Achillea. Ah, right, OK. The Achillea is called Bornset Fletton, which is named after the colour of a brick. Flet oh, right. Really? So it's a kind of terracotta colour. Yeah, lovely. Oh. Amazing. There we go. <laughs> so it's a, it's, a, it's a much more open plant. You can, much more open flower as well, much more starry. So you can see the difference between yeah. that and a, and a Belgii. 
Yes. Quite different plant indeed. I like yeah. these a lot. They're really nice. They've got, a, I suppose, a bit more of a, a natural, informal thing going on. Yeah. Yeah, they mix really well if you like using grasses and things like that in the borders as well. Uh, we're busy getting soaking wet because it rained rather a lot last night, so they're all really soggy. I did wonder this. As I was getting ready for the podcast, I thought, I wonder if the plants are already picked and undercover or if they're as wet as everything in my garden. That, yeah. That would, that would require being organised. <laughs> they were rushing around rolling. <laughs> I think we had we had your rain late last night and early this morning. I mean, we've got blue skies here now, but when... When I got up this morning about seven o'clock, it was it was so dull and dark and dreary and drippy and wet. It was horrible. Yeah, <laughs> we would. Uh, it would definitely came in. I don't know, middle of last night. Sometime I woke up and heard it. And went, oh no! It's <laughs> 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 really wet tomorrow. <laughs> but never mind. It was quite exciting in the garden though, because we were getting all the mist rising off the plants and things. Um, so I wanted to just have a look at. I think maybe my favourite European aster, but this does change from day to day, so <laughs> might not guarantee it. But it's um, Pyrenees Letitia. So this was raised uh, by Kaye Nurseries in 1912. But although it's always been sold as being aster Pyrenees, so a straight species, we think it's probably not. It's very vigorous. It definitely seems more like it's probably a hybrid, but it doesn't matter. So flowers August and right the way through, you can see it's still throwing out new flower buds coming on the stems down here. So it'll keep going right to the end of October, really, won't it? Yeah, until it really gets cold. And it's very pale um, lilac, I suppose, <laughs> but it's almost white. And particularly when you put it up against some of the darker colours, it takes on in the garden that real light sort of lilac-y, pinky. Um, but wants to get two and a half, just about 65 centimetres, except it's really lax, so it always flops out. I don't know if either of you've grown it, but we don't, I don't bother staking it in the garden. <laughs> so it just has to flop out and then you get um, growth in the middle of it. So it ends up making this lovely sort of mound effect. And I think it's a smashing plant. Asta, I don't know whether you're going to show it or not, because I think it's probably a bit earlier, but Asta sedifolius. Mm. Now that flops like anything, and it always reminds me of a crumpled bed quilt. <laughs> it's beautiful, though, isn't it? Yeah, it it's, is. Uh, I didn't, I didn't pick any actually, but it's um, probably one of the ones that's been in longest constant cultivation in the UK. Is the Cedarfolius? Yeah, it's from the 1700s. Um, so yes, yeah, and lovely and it's that plant, lovely really. sort of shade of blue, isn't it? Yeah, and those tiny uh, reflexed petals, so that. Yep center sticks out and it's one of the few although it's not I don't suppose you could call it really centered not like a rose or something like that but it has a lot of um I suppose it's a pollen scent isn't it mm -hmm. it's a real sort of honey scent that comes off it whereas most of the others you don't get anything mm. <laughs> I love with this one that Rob's now holding it's so sort of spiky because of those sparse petals it gives this lovely haze of all the little sort of lilac spikes coming off the plant proper stars yes yeah <laughs> admittedly wonderful. when it's drier it's not quite as spiky okay. this is this is partly soggy aster, <laughs> this is like when we bring snowdrops inside and they start to fly in the heat yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're like that doesn't normally happen outside <laughs> doesn't look anything like this in the garden <laughs> 
so I think I probably ought to mention because I think we'd be missing out, wouldn't we, if we didn't mention Fricartii as well. Yeah. So Fricartii is a hybrid with Astromelis that we've looked at and a Himalayan species called Thomsonii. And so you get the bigger in flowering season. So late July with us usually, right the way through into early November, unless we get a really heavy frost. Big lavender blue flowers. Um, this is monk, but Bundaborn staff is very similar. It's quite, I was quite like that this hybrid cross between Amelis and Thomsonii was raised, uh, first recorded in the UK in the late 1800s by a reverend whose name I cannot for the life of me remember at the moment. But he showed it at an RHS show and they said, oh, brilliant. Wrote it down, all down, you know, recorded it properly. And then it was never to be seen again. So we don't know what happened to that, but it disappeared. And the hybrid cross wasn't made again until 1914 by a Swiss nurseryman called Fricat, hence the reason that it's now asked across Fricatio. Um, his first three seedlings that he named was Monk, Eiger and Jungfrau, which was the three mountain peaks you could see from his nursery. Oh, that's nice. I quite like a nursery up a mountain. <laughs> State of hell's not good enough. No, I need a mountain. And <laughs> <laughs> um, before we moved on, as so this probably looks an awful lot like the Procartii, just looking at the flowers. But if you look at the foliage, I don't know, do, Alan, do you grow this one, Peduncularis? No, I don't. No. Okay, so this is Aster Peduncularis. Only gets to maybe 50 centimetres, something like that. And again, flowers, late July, August, forever, forever. right the way through. You can see, well, you can see on this one stem I've picked, you've got flowers that have long gone and then you've got fresh and you've got buds still waiting to come on really really tough so it will tolerate um shade light shade drought damp soil mm -hmm. pretty much anything you want to throw at it and it just gets on with life it's a really nice little plant always freaks me out in the spring when it comes up though because the foliage is so densely hairy it looks almost white and you get sort of one shoot here and one shoot over there somewhere. You think, well, that's going to be useless. <laughs> but it, yeah, it just fills itself in and makes this lovely mound. And then you get the flowers coming up above it. So yeah, it's a smashing plant. Very isn't good. It? Yeah. I think it's one of the things I like about asters is even when you're a new gardener, because they're so, well, certainly the ones I've grown, so keen and so easy to, to split and they do so well out of it that, this is a really nice sort of beginner plant. I, you know, I'm, I'm really have always been because I'm not a proper gardener. All of the, the real gardener stuff of dividing and hacking back. I've never been very good at. I'm a timid gardener, but you can, you can get away with it with asters. You can kind of experiment yeah. on them and they're very kind to you when you're learning. They're very forgiving on the whole. Yes. <laughs> they occasionally look a bit grumpy and you think, well, maybe that wasn't the right thing to do, but um, they will usually pull back. through. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely forgiving. I suppose while we're still in European and Asiatic, I wanted to just mention Canavius bar harare. Um, not very exciting, I suppose, flower-wise, but as you can see, it's only just starting to flower now. And most years, unless it snows an awful lot, it's still out and in, ready for picking at Christmas time. So mm. really, really late season. There is a rumour abounding, though, that they're about to change this over into Calamiris. 
So it may not be an Aster for much longer. <laughs> we'll make the most of it while it is. It's actually some of those, uh, those old sort of species types. They're the kind of Asters that are, I mean, they're terribly long lived, aren't they? And, uh-huh. I, mean, I remember yeah. seeing them in old neglected gardens years and years ago. I mean, they just carry on. Yeah, yeah, they do. And certainly with the um, trinervius or trifoliatus types, they thrive on neglect, um, ignore them completely, and they will <laughs> do better and better. So, yeah, no, it's uh, well worth it's well worth if you've got a slightly tougher spot, which you're not too worried about, um, and want a bit of interest in them. And they're well worth thinking about. Wash up your dustbin area. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dare I ask uh, what the difference is then between the little sort of calamaris purple daisies and an, uh, an aster? Mm, something that a botanist decided. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I suppose if you look at the foliage, they are quite distinct. So you've got this rather dentate foliage instead of the nice smooth entire leaf that you get with most of the asters. Um, and the flower does look a little different as well, but I expect it comes down to differences in florets and pears and all sorts. Of things. <laughs> I don't know is the strict answer there. I probably ought to. After all, I did trade as a botanist. <laughs> I'm very naughty. I'm glad you don't know. You know enough already. <laughs> okay, small flowers because. We need the small flowers, particularly now we're in October and it's really their heyday. So this is possibly one of the best known out of the small flower, which is Little Carlo. And it is a fabulous plant. So when it's doing well, 120 centimetres, sometimes a little bit less than that, this mass of lavender blue flowers, and it just goes on and on as well, doesn't it? And on, and on. Good levels of mildew resistance as well once you get into the small flowers. So not always 100% because particularly something like um, Little Carlo, it's a symphiotrichum, but it's a hybrid. So it's a cross with cordifolium, which is things like Chieftain, with a good dose of Novibalgae in there. Hence the reason why it can sometimes get mildew, but it's usually pretty good. And is it when they're pollinated that the centres change colour? Yeah, so once the bees have had a go at them, you'll get this colour change coming. It gradually happens with age sometimes on the flower as well, but the bees do speed it up. And I know I've had trouble before with judges who go, oh, isn't that a bit fast? I'm like, no, I just couldn't ban the bees. (laughs) (laughs) They wouldn't stop. (laughs) Great, great pollinator plants. The bees are absolutely all over them when it's warm enough. They really are. Yeah, they're apps. So beautiful, so floriferous. Yeah, well, we had to go the next stage up as well so <laughs> down in flower size but just the sheer volume of flower you get with some of these small flowers is amazing so this is pink cloud so it's again symphiotrichum but ericoides so you've got this shows up really but little tiny tiny heather like leaves hence the ericoides and then very dainty little flowers but an absolute mass of them and up to 90 centimetres at most, usually a little bit less than that, but a really fabulous plant. It does look like clouds in the border. Yeah, I mean, even on this video, it does look like a little puff of a cloud in the sky. Yeah, look at that. Or a little <laughs> bit like Jip. Okay. <laughs> yes. no, it looks like a much more sort of butch Jip Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and actually they work, I find, 
so I quite like cutting them and um, I do find with the small flower they work really well as a filler so the same as yeah. you use with gypsophila just and then you can put your big showy stuff in between it so <laughs> uh, one of my all-time favorites whoops which is kind of like pink cloud but much longer in the stem so we'll stand up to four foot tall very very pale and it's rosy bale so again if you're thinking fillers and big displays fabulous last for a long time in the garden as well you can see Look how tall the stem is that's flowing yeah such a bloom <laughs> Good idea you brought that one out towards the end of this particular bunch because yeah. it's quite unruly, it's unmanageable. It is a bit unruly. <laughs> We're getting unrulier and unrulier. Yeah. It, <laughs> <laughs> so we're sort of still within this, well within what we might class as small flowered, although actually it's gone up in size. But this one's called Jessica Jones. So it's a Semphitrichum Fringuli hybrid. So you've got influence, while similar to Ericoides, I suppose, with fine foliage, but a little bit longer. And again, a bit more height. So we're easily up to 130 centimetres. And then this mass in October of these single, but uh, very pretty flowers, aren't they? Mm, yeah. yeah. I'm hoping the pink colour's coming through well enough. And this one, I don't know that we're ever going to be able to show this very well, but um, <laughs> this is Symphiotrichum turbinellum, the prairie aster. So there we can oh. see the flower. It's so airy. It's really mm. light and airy and only just starting to flower now. Fantastic foliage as well. And, yeah. and the dark stem. So the foliage almost glaucous yeah in earlier in the season is much bluer green uh it's now gone a bit well a bit darker but it clasps around the stem when we get to some of the taller varieties i'd like to ask if you if you do the chelsea chop or the hampton hack on them because i've got one aster in the garden that is called orpheus which is black stems with very very purple flowers i nearly picked that today <laughs> <Did you? laughs> well I planted it in an area where, I mean, it's going to be, I don't know, between five and six feet tall, probably. Mm. And I thought, oh, gosh, I've, I made a mistake here. What am I going to do? So I chopped it. Yeah. And I chopped it. And it, well, it, it, it's about over a mid, just over a metre. And it's absolutely perfect. So do you do that with any of yours? We don't, um, mainly because we like just to let them do what they want to do. We yeah. don't need to, but it's a, definitely a process of experimentation. So we have tried it on a few things. We sometimes find that it delays the flowering a little too much. Yeah. So some of the later flowering, of course, because it makes it slightly later, you're then pushing it really too far to get anything much out of it. And the only other ones to really watch with it are the double flowered forms. You can sometimes find that you lose some of the ray florets. So instead of getting your full double, you'll get um, a semi or even a single yep. flower. But, yep. you know, if, it, if it's the wrong height, but you like where it is, Give it a go. But as we've already said, they're very forgiving. So it's always worth having an experiment. If it doesn't work that year, you're not going to have killed it. Just remember not to do it again the next year. <laughs> <laughs> well said. <laughs> it's funny with Orpheus. I think everybody in our friendship kind of group in, in the Norfolk, East Anglia pocket, we all grow it. it. Was it bred by Rosie Steele? 
Yes, um, it, it, it occurred in her garden, actually. Yeah. And then she very, very nearly got rid of it because it was so tall and unruly. Um, and I was one of the lucky recipients to have a, a wheelbarrow full of this stuff and it arrived and all the rest of it. And then I planted it and it flowered. And oh, thanks, Rosie. <laughs> <laughs> but it does successfully Chelsea chop. So yeah. it is, um, it, it, that, it works on that one anyway. Yeah. Um, no, and I, I, I agree with what Helen says about it being, you know, how you can lose some of the doubleness of, of some of the flowers. So, I mean, it's up to you. It's your choice whether you do it or not. But I would suggest as a gardener, do it on some of the f- ones that flower earlier rather than the later mm-hmm. ones. Yeah, and it's always worth, I think you have to be a little bit brave in gardening and just have an experiment yeah. and see what yeah. happens. I mean, as long as it's not anything too drastic, but certainly with stuff like the Chelsea Chop, it's not going to do them any harm. And if you don't like the end result, well, you know what not to do. So it's, yeah. <laughs> it's always worth having a go at these things. And uh, talking of, you know, that seedling turning up in Rosie Steele's garden, with so many growing in your garden, do you get some interesting seedlings cropping up? We do, yes. Um, actually, I've got one here. <sighs> and get it out everything's turned itself upside down as usual <laughs> so this is one of our more recent ones that we've named which was a trans seedling that came up we had to be a little bit careful we try not to encourage too much seeding otherwise you get in a terrible muddle but occasionally these things happen and then if we do think it's half decent we select it out and three to four years of growing it before we'd even consider giving it a name because they do change in their habits and what they're doing and also making sure that it's significantly different from something else and you're not just (laughs) getting overexcited and then you look at it and you think well I can't really tell it apart from that one (laughs) so this is one called Maggie May it's a Lavis hybrid so it's quite a big well yeah Vigorous, yep. it forms a nice big vigorous clump. It's open sprays. But open sprays and a long flowering season as well. And really disease resistant and drought tolerant. So it ticks a lot, a lot of boxes for more modern gardening, I suppose. Yeah, that is beautiful. Mm. Yeah, so uh, we were really pleased with that one. So, <laughs> so yes, we do. <laughs> we try not to go crazy and name everything though. <laughs> You'd have a lot, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> hey, 4D's here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time.